Hello, I'm Steve Dania, and this is the My Pride Playlist Pridecast from Virgin Radio Pride. In each episode, we speak to a member of the LGBTQ plus community and go through tracks that have soundtracked their lives. Now, due to rights reasons, the music is shorter than the original broadcast, but it's still great. Enjoy. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus, celebrating every colour of the rainbow. Steve Daniel with you tonight on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. Tonight's guest, then, we have former singer of Bronsky Beat, comedian, impersonator, the most talented drag queen I've ever seen on the scene. It's Jonathan Hellier, who plays the DE Experience, the Dame Edna Experience, and I was lucky enough to catch up with him above London's iconic Royal Vauxhall Tavern pub the other week. And I started off by asking him, What's your first song? I think my, my first song is, is it, it's there because it's a sort of tribute, really, <clears throat> to my mom, to my late mom, um, who brought me up listening to the great vocalists of all time, Dinah Washington, uh, Peggy Lee, Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, um, and Mel Torme, Sinatra, Elvis. You know, she was, all, she was a singer herself, so she was really big on incredible vocalists. And I think the first song... Uh, speaks to mom's love of such a diverse range of music and uh, my own appreciation of it because, as I say, she she brought me up listening to it. So Dinah Washington, Mad About the Boy. It's also because it's got lyrics by Noel Coward. Wow. So it is real sort of Rolls-Royce stuff when it comes to lyrics. And, and Dinah Washington's rendition of this has become the seminal version that everybody's familiar with. Um you but, must have performed this, have you? Oh, many times. Yeah. Many times, in the voice of Dinah Washington. Wow. Which, I mean, it, it, uh, I, I did it on a, a gay cruise that was full of 50-year-old Americans. It was a small gay cruise, and they just loved They all knew <laughs> Dinah Washington. Oh, my God. And I loved it, too. But, yeah, it is, it's one of those songs that just um, it sends me when I listen to her vocal. I listen to lots of Dinah Washington all the time. Uh, but this song in particular, there's just something about her vocal that that... that takes me way back to when I was a kid. Jonathan Hellier is my guest tonight on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. Uh, Jonathan is the DE experience, the Dame Edna experience. We're talking literally drag royalty, and I caught up with him above London's iconic RVT a couple of weeks ago. You, your mum used to come to your shows, right, back in the day? Well, I started doing the, the, the drag act very much by accident in the early 90s, and uh, my mum, at the time, she quite happily said, oh, well, I'll drive you to these shows because I love what you do anyway. Because I, 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 it's been a backstory. Mum was a singer. She'd had her own band for years, country and western and jazz. And my brothers, I've got three brothers, and they're all musicians, and my cousin is a musician. So we all got together and made a sort of Osmond-esque boy band. I mean, it's revolting to think of it now, but it's a good <laughs> idea at the time. And we worked every weekend in between school when I was from about the age of sort of 12 onwards. Uh, and we were gigging in these working men's clubs. And I suppose if you if you hone the art of comedy anywhere, 
you probably hone it in the working men's clubs <laughs> because there, there's no greater place to die than a working men's club on, on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> um, in between bingo. Um, so, yeah, I, I, anyway, um, it, it was uh, mum offered to drive me to these gigs and these gay venues when I started doing this drag act, and uh, she loved it. She just absolutely loved it. I mean, she was in her element because I suppose really she's very, she was very proud of me. Yeah. But also, she liked being entertained. She always found me inordinately funny and far funnier than the rest of the family found me. But they were all terrified of her. So if I said something funny, she laughed and they laughed. <laughs> like this sort of <laughs> cajoled them. Um, but she took me to these gigs and she'd stand there and watch me. And then she'd she'd have one brandy and dry ginger and then drive us home <laughs> in the uh, Granada Scorpio. Uh, it was lovely to have her there. But she was such a sort of encouraging force. She came to the Vauxhall. She'd actually lost her sight through illness when she came to the Vauxhall Tavern. But I sat her up at the back, surrounded by protective queens <laughs> who spoilt her rotten. Yeah. And I introduced her to the audience as my mum. You'd have thought royalty had descended into the venue. They say Princess Diana came here. My mum came here. She got a far bigger reception. <laughs> um, the queens were just so honoured to meet her because she was, you know, so proud. Yeah. W- was she ever critical of some of the material, some of the comedy? No. She Did you always, ever get told off? Uh, do you know, to be honest, she, she was... Um, I used to, I've come up with quite a lot of madcap ideas in my life over the years. I was going to be this, I was going to be that, I was going to do this, I was going to do that degree, this degree, this degree. And she never once said, oh, for God's sake. She always said, unequivocally, darling, if anybody can make it work, you can. Wow. So That's that love, like, isn't yeah. it? That's she love. may well have gone away and said to somebody else, oh, here we go, you know, he's doing it again. <laughs> but she never, ever conveyed that to me. Mm. All I ever got from her was incredible positivity complete reinforcement and utter confidence to the point that I I might come off stage and having had a fantastic gig and I'd say, oh, I did three encores tonight. And she wouldn't say, oh, that's amazing. She'd say, well, of course. Said, of course you did, darling. Or you would. Mm. Who wouldn't want you to do three encores? You're mm. awesome. And it used, sometimes I think, oh, I just wish she'd sort of emote a bit more. But she was sanguine about her, bri- her brilliant yeah, son. Yeah, so your biggest fan. She took it in a stride. Amazing. What should we have next? It's T-Rex Hot Love. T-Rex. T-Rex Hot Love. Um, when you're a child, you know, it's a great time to learn languages and it's yeah. a great time because you soak things in and you don't even know they're going in. T-Rex, there was an album, a compilation of T-Rex hits that my brother had called Bolan Boogie, this album, and it had a big fly on the label, the old fly label. Um, and he played it day and night. And osmotically, it went into my brain and every track on the album and the order of the album and the key in which the next song comes in is imprinted into my brain and I didn't know it. I found the album a while ago and I played it and, and there I was right back in the front room, the posh front room, at Huell Road where we used to live in Redditch and Worcestershire listening to that album. And Hot Love, to me, T-Rex, is one of the sexiest songs ever written. Mark Boland's voice the guitar and the bass that walks all the time, and the backing vocalist, which I think are the Chanter sisters, I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a walk down memory lane, and it's timeless music. I okay. It's lived on. It's, it was before its time.
Steve Dania on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride, the DE experience, the day medal experience. Jonathan Hellier is with me tonight. That was T-Rex Hot Love. Uh, let's go straight on to your next pick. What's on the list? Uh, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, only because uh, I, I developed, every time we say goodbye, I, I, I developed a specific love of Ella Fitzgerald. Um, I've always... The reason I've always listened to vocalists because I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I can sing a bit. I don't think I'm anything like the caliber of singer that these people are. But um, yeah, oh come on! I, no, I must, no, 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 no. You... It, it's not false modesty. I, I, I listen to, I've listened to all these fantastic vocalists over the years, and actually, what's happened is, I've nicked bits off each of their work. So I've plagiarized in a way, or as some people call it, my influences are. But actually, I've, I've no shame in saying that because mm. Shaka Khan's in there, Anne Wilson of Heart is in there, and all these voices that I grew up listening to. I've nicked little bits, and, I, and there are certain inflections that I put into what I do when I'm singing, and it's because I love these singers. Ella Fitzgerald's vibrato is one of the most incredible vibratos I've ever heard on a singer. Um, and actually, vibrato makes a voice far more listenable. If you don't have vibrato, if you just sing... Just explain what that means Vibrato me. is the sort of the tremor of a note. So if I sing a note, it's just play. But if I sing and give it that kind of yes. modulation, Cliff Richards got it. All the big singers have got an incredible vibrato. And actually, the most popular singers seem to have a faster vibrato. Because in modern times, they're able with a faster vibrato. So Beyonce's got quite a quick vibrato. Um, Celine Dion. Uh, they're able to uh, tackle a technique called melisma, which is making lots of syllables of one word. So Beyonce, all that stuff. Mm. I can't do it very well. But the, um, vibrato makes things so much more listenable. And Ella Fitzgerald's vibrato is one of the most consistent it never changes it doesn't matter what note she hits she can go up high low her range is phenomenal and there's this vibrato that just makes it i think willie nelson came up with a word word called euphonious i've never checked it out to see if it's actually in the oed <laughs> but it means listenable and something that's comfortable to hear and ella fitzgerald's vibrato, but also every time we say goodbye her rendition of this song it's beautiful isn't it well, yeah, and it's a tribute to my late sister. I, I had it. I, I chose. They never let a gay man choose the music for a funeral. Everybody being bits. Uh, <laughs> I chose it for my late sister's funeral because it was a song that we used to sing together as little kids when oh, we wow. were sat wow. doing nothing. Um, so my sister and I knew all the words to Ella Fitzgerald's album that we had, and uh, this is one of those songs that just takes me away. Steve Danio doing My Pride Playlist tonight on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm joined by Drag Royalty. And seriously, I'm not bigging him up enough. It is the Dame Edna Experience. Jonathan Hellier's with me. I see that Shaka Khan's down on your list. Tell me why you like her. Well, I just think it's, um, it's 
probably one of those songs. Rufus and Shaka Khan was an amazing collaboration anyway. I mean, again, their albums, I've got a live album of theirs, it's phenomenal. Shaka Khan's voice, it's always a vocalist. All the songs that I choose are always vocalists. And Shaka has um, the capacity to just take me away to another dimension. I literally listen to her voice and it, it just warms me. I find it, it it's it's, a, it's horny, I think she's, She's incredible, she's beautiful as well, she's sassy. But again, there's just something about the range she's got. And of course, she, she kind of broke the mold for all the singers to come after her, including Whitney, you know. Mm-hmm. Whitney did backing vocals on I'm Every Woman. Yes. Um, you know, so there's a lot of heritage there with Shaka's voice. But Ain't Nobody was uh, certainly a time in my teens when I was really starting to sort of get into soul and R&B and listen to more up-to-date singers, Aretha, um, you know, and some of the, the hits that were in the charts, but also listening to Annie Lennox's voice mm-hmm. as she was coming out with the early um, Eurythmics hits because her voice was as soulful as any I'd ever mm-hmm. heard. And, again, Dusty Springfield from a way back, a little bit before that, you know, White Soul. Yeah. Um, George Michael was appearing and, and, you know, going solo with his stuff. And again, it was a white soul voice. And I started to appreciate actually that soul was the, it was the um, domain of anyone who genuinely felt what they were singing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. All those artists you've just named, I've seen you perform. Yeah. I've seen you do on stage. what I like. Yeah. But you can do like all of those artists I've seen in one single solitary DE show, you know? Um, I'd, I'd like to get close. <laughs> I love it. Do you take requests? Can I give you a list for one? Yeah, you can. You can. Monday nights means my pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Denny, and my guest tonight is Jonathan Hellier, the D Experience, the Dame Edna Experience. You can catch this act all around the UK in different cabaret clubs. And not everyone knows this, but you used to be back in the day in Bronxky Beat before you became Dame Edna. I'm dying to know. How did that happen? Well, like everything important that's ever happened in my life has come about completely by accident. Um, I had a friend, I haven't seen him for years actually, um, Ian Jeffries, who was Jaffa in Redditch. And he was a bit of a keyboard player and he had a mate called Nick, who was also a bit of a keyboard player. <laughs> and he had a, a, an eight track in his dad's garage, Nick did. So we would go down there and what we basically do is we, we, we'd find something he wanted to, to play and I wanted to sing and we'd record it. So we did things, because I always loved falsetto and my love of falsetto kind of comes from listening to people like David Ruffin, The Temptations, The Four Tops, Motown, Marvin Gaye, the use of falsetto in there, but also castrato opera singers as well, who were men with these incredible super soprano voices. Um, I've always loved the use of falsetto in guys' voices, so I was always a bit charmed. So Sylvester mm. was a massive influence for me. And we recorded Do You Want a Funk by Sylvester. 
and small town boy in the garage. Never thought anything more of it. Get this, get this. Such a revelation. Um, Ian Jeffries said to me one day, um, it was in the summer holidays, I was about, I can't remember how old I was, I must have been, I must have been eight, 19, I don't know, 20 maybe. Yeah. And he said, um, I'm a member of the Bronski Beat fan club. And he said, and I'm going to London, this is in Redditch and Worcestershire, I'm going to London in a few weeks' time to meet them, to meet Steve Bronski. Do you want to come? And I said, well, no, not really, if I'm honest, you know, no, but good luck. And he said, oh, come on, come. He said, drive me down. I drive a green Citroen 2 CV. <laughs> and he it. said, we'll have a right laugh going in the jalopy and we'll get there. And, and at, at that time, you could park and drive anywhere in London with no restrictions. It was amazing. You could park on Dean Street. Wow. Um, I know. And uh, Dean Street was a part of London. Back it's gone, gone by now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we got there and I agreed to do it. Unbeknownst to me, he had the tape with him. Uh, and he, we met Steve Bronski, we were sat in Steve's flat, lovely little studio flat in Dean Street in the centre of Soho. Mm. And it, I felt like I was a bit of a, I never know whether it's Gooseberry or Raspberry, but I, I felt like I shouldn't be there. So I was kind of wishing I could go, or at least wait in the car while he met Steve from Bronski Beat. But he suddenly said to Steve, uh, Jonathan's a singer. And by this time, Jimmy had gone. And they yes. had hit that perfect so beat. So this was like John. late 80s. Yeah yeah, 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 absolutely. Hit that perfect beat with John John Foster. They'd done that already. And it kind of waned. Jonathan's a singer. And Steve, in what exactly as I would have been, he said, is he, you know, I think I might have been this long-haired queen who was a bit in the way. In the <laughs> I felt I was in the way. And he said, oh, that's fantastic. What sort of voices we've got in this very tired, disinterested way. And Jaffa pulled out the tape. And said, so, well, we recorded this in my mate's garage. So do you want to have a listen? And Steve would go, yeah, sure, go on, <laughs> put it on, we'll give it here. And he put it on. And Steve Bronski sort of stopped dead in his traps and said, is that, Scott, is that you? Is that you, darling? And I said, yeah, yes, it is. And he said, do you want a job? Uh, like immediately? Yeah. Wow. He went, oh, my God, that's amazing. Oh my God, do you want to sing with Bronski Beat? And I was like, yeah, mate, whatever. <laughs> I really, I was, I said, I'm all right, you know, whatever. He said, you don't want to. And I said, well, yeah, I would. I said, but, but yeah, I, yeah, whatever. Well, we were there for another hour or so, I don't know. And then we drove back to the Midlands. And between me leaving Steve Bronski's flat and getting back to where I lived at Mom's, he phoned Mom and said, your son has got the most incredible voice I've heard in years. And he's just become the lead singer of Bronsky Beat. <laughs> and within a few months, we were off on tour in the United States. First time I ever flew was Boxing Day in 1988. Wow. So I'm 21, I suppose. Um, and it was, I flew business class to LA to do a load of gigs in Redondo Beach and, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, uh, the main street and all sorts of parts of LA. Uh, were you singing, um, you know, the greatest hits? The bro so Pretty you were much. doing Small Town Pretty Boy much, yeah. and all the and songs? Actually, that's it was just Steve and myself. Oh, Larry wow. wasn't anything to do with it then. Yeah. Because Larry was off doing projects of his own after Bronski Beat. But then Larry heard what was going on and said, you know, I'll have a bit of that. Mm -hmm. And off we all went on tour around the States and around Europe. Um, 
I think we did about 28 states. It was amazing, really, Yeah. Uh, to be on tour. And then we started to write new songs. So I started to write new songs, so we were putting those in the show as well. Yeah. And we ended up with quite a, a decent repertoire of, of a new album, which became Rainbow Nation. And, um, yeah, um, we were performing these gigs in concert venues, I mean, around Europe and around wow. America. that must have been such a growing up experience. From so... Headless Cross in Redditch in Worcestershire yes. to being on tour. I mean, it was, it was unreal. Zero to 100. For it, really, to be honest, because yeah. there, there was some things that, that other members of the group indulged in. I didn't indulge them at the time. I was still very much a boy from a little village in Worcestershire. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about the world much. I wasn't wise. I wouldn't be. Who would be? Uh, I was a kid, um, but they did some very adult things, and I wasn't involved in those, and it made it difficult at times. But I was on tour with them for a couple of years, and it was mind-blowing. I mean, mm. the opportunity was amazing. I love. I was very close to my backing vocalist, Danny Conway. Uh, we always hung out together. And after every gig, we'd be very good and go back to the hotel room and be good because I've got to sing, you know, yeah. you have to fly, and you're up in the air and down. The voice is wrecked if you're not careful. So I, I smoked, but I didn't smoke very much and I didn't drink very much and never have. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the most amazing opportunity. I mean, I've always been grateful for it. And of course, singing Small Town Boy. Which you do. To, to 40,000 people in Balboa Park in <laughs> San Diego for Pride. Yeah. Doesn't get any better. You know, I mean, if I never have another moment on stage again, that's enough. Yes. It's not, I, I don't, talk about it very much but i remember look, going on stage and looking out at this i couldn't see the end of the crowd and they were going nuts and i remember you know we'd written these songs and the new songs were going down really well we used to do a fantastic um swing slow swing beat version of uh, love don't live here anymore rose royce they went nuts it was just it was uh, it was like uh, everything you'd ever kind of wanted to do in one gig you know it was it was a real affirmation S small town boy must have do you still get a kick then doing that song knowing knowing the history of that song and also knowing how much of that song people relate to now all these years later i mean uh, from 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 being just a, a hunter who heard it on the radio who saw the video and when it was on telly uh knew instantly even even i'd go as far as to say even with that you didn't have to hear, hear the lyrics the plaintive sound of the song is a song of grief. It's about protest. It's about loss. It's about fury. Mm. It's about misery and sadness. Um, it spoke to me in that way. So just as a as a as a punter listening to the song, it had always had that incredible impact. Then I saw the video, and that kind of created, you know, went with the narrative of the lyrics. It gave me the imagery, and and. You know, it all sewed itself into my brain like it did for, I'm sure, for millions of other gay people and straight people too. Um, then to get to perform with these, as I said, to these incredible crowds, um, we always kind of performed what I do now, which is the 12-inch version. So it's very yeah. slow without drums. The slow is just great. It Dark has pads. a kind of couple of minutes, doesn't yeah. it, yeah. Before, before it builds? Before it gets going. It's, it's on a par, although obviously it's accompanied with the beginning of I Will Always Love You that Whitney did, you know, mm -hmm. when she, she, they said that, she said, let's do it a cappella. And they were like, no, 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 no. And the beginning of Small Town Boy, that extended version, it, it doesn't have any drums to it. So you are literally padding through almost a treacle of very dark, 
sounds and notes while the lyrics go on, the singing goes on overhead. Um, so it's it's quite an um, an atmospheric song to sing. It's quite ethereal, and you you're aware of the power of the song. You're Do you feel that? Yes. Because I've got to ask you, yes. um, the, I've seen a number of times here, and I spoke to Simon Levans last year when he came on this mm. show, and I said, you know, to be surrounded by people sobbing, mm. but in a nice way, in a really yeah. good way. Yeah. But you did it um, last year when you came back after the pandemic, yeah. bank holiday, the August, yeah. and there literally wasn't one person around me no. not crying. And I was, you know, moved to tears on stage. Really? You Absolutely. feel that, you feel I mean, it, do you? I've got, it. I've got to hold it together because I'm supposed to be singing the song. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to throw myself on the floor and have a damn good sob, yeah. really, because that's what the song induces him. It always has. So doing it live with a really, you know, any audience is appreciative. Doing it live with just the keyboards on tour, it meant that you could prolong moments of it not not for showmanship it wasn't about it was just that there were moments when i'd be overcome by what i was doing it was i was a brace of little old me from worcestershire i'm on stage in atlanta there are five thousand people in the venue we're rocking their world they're rocking mine it, you know it's this and i, I would literally judder to a halt and they would know it and i'd have to just say just give me a second you know, <laughs> And I'd, I'd be crying. Um, so it's always had a, quite a dangerous resonance with me. And I, and I say dangerous because it's very easy to get close to the edge where you do grind to a halt. And there's, there's something physically restrictive about being in tears that stops vocals happening. Right. You can't sing and cry at the same time. Yeah. I can't anyway. Uh -huh. So I have to kind of keep it in check. But as a cabaret performer, as an artist on stage, I mean, it is a gift of a song. Mm. Um, I think you've made it your own. I mean, recently there was a BBC documentary, and I think yeah. Sean Delenty said yes, he yes. credited you. Wow. He said, you know, and that, that I totally agree with that, and you deserve that credit as well. So embarrassed. About that, really, <laughs> Shall I stop gushing? I did warn you. I you would. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jimmy's vocals. It, it is a killer vocal. And I suppose the only reason I'm able to perform the song is because I, I have a falsetto range akin to Jimmy Somerville's. Um, but there's something about performing. I, it's different every time I do it as well. I do something different to it every time I do it. So it's a song that evolves and without sounding too twee, I suppose that evolution could also be said of sexuality, of gender, of fluidity, of self-actualization, of your journey into maturity, your journey into what is now for me, you know, at, at middle age, 54, nearly 55. Uh, it, it, every time I sing it, it reminds me of moments. Steve Daniel with you, really loving tonight's My Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. This guy, this guy is such a legend. It's the Dame Edna Experience, Jonathan Hellier. Can we talk about the DE and how it started? I hear it happened by accident 
in Birmingham in the Nightingale Club. I always, I spoke in the voice. <laughs> it didn't matter what I was saying. I'd be in Tesco's at the checkout and I'd say to the girl, do you have large bags? <laughs> do or I'd, you know, I'd go into the pet shop and say, could you show me your flaps? Wanting to see the cut flaps. And <laughs> it would be a moment when people, you know, and if, if I was with any, Debbie Ann will tell you. Yes. Debbie Ann, my friend, Debbie Ann O'Donovan. He's a huge regular she's here, isn't she? She always gets credited in the show. She always, you hang she out always, with her. She's a very good sport. She wrote the introduction to this she'll today. She'll tell boy. you, I know she did. Um, she'll tell you that uh, it, uh, to this day, we'll be out in a shop somewhere. And I can't resist making a scene of some sort in some sort of stupid voice. Brilliant. Drives her crazy. I think she loves it secretly. Um, I'm her guilty pleasure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I used to do, and, and the Nightingale is the gay centre of, of, of Birmingham, was and always has been. And I was a, a member there, and, and my friend DJ'd, and friends of mine worked behind the bar. So at the end of the night, when the punters had all gone home and there was a lock in, mm. I would sit round entertaining the staff as a sort of party afterwards. And Kenneth Williams is in there too, you know, and these voices. So I was known for doing these silly voices. And then one day, uh, the manager, George Bancroft, the late, wonderful George Bancroft, I love him, I miss him. Um, he came to me and said, you're always doing Edna's voice. We're doing a charity night for Birmingham AIDS Trust. Mm. How long ago this was? Birmingham AIDS Trust. And we want to know if you would host it as Edna. If we got you the wig and the glasses and the frock and did your makeup. And I said, well, you'll have to because I've got none of those. Yeah. No idea. And they said, don't. And a couple of other drag queens dressed me, did the makeup. And I went on and hosted this variety show put together by Queens from the Scene in Birmingham. It was a brilliant night. But what should have been about a 45-minute show was two hours. Wow. Because Idiot here was on the mic between every act, <laughs> loving it. And, you know, taking no prisoners, saying things that aren't even repeatable these days. I've evolved as an intellectual. <laughs> I hadn't then. Um, and it was, it, it just came, and there was an agent there, basically, who said, if you ever want to do this for a living, I was working as a residential social worker at the time wow. was in a school for people with, as my nan used to say, special needs. <laughs> my nan used to say people with special <laughs> needs. Uh, but it was a school for, for adolescents with special needs, and I was a social worker. And this agent said, if you ever want, and I said, oh, no, no, I'm a social worker. I'm making contributions to society. And he said, well, if you ever want to do it, give me a shout. I've got loads of work for you. And eventually I thought, why not? And I did it. And, well, oh, the rest is mystery. Well, let's break for music and play a track that you picked that sums up that whole era. And what a great pick this is. It's erasure and drama. Steve Daniel with you tonight on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. It's Jonathan Hellier, the D experience, the Dame Edna experience. I caught up with him above London's iconic RVT a couple of weeks ago. And one of the most memorable shows I've ever seen you do is the one you did as a tribute to Donna Summer. Donna Summer had literally died 
she passed away the day before the show and you made one particular show all about her. Do you remember that? I'm so glad you saw that. I mean, everybody saw it, but I'm so glad you remember it because um, I, I don't... I don't know that any of us are absolutely aware of what she said about gay people and whether it's to do with AIDS, HIV or whatever, but, but it's, it's impossible to not look at a canon of work and, and, and be moved by her incredible voice, but also her undeniable place in the sort of, you know, the, 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 the panoply of stars that have contributed to gay life. I mean, mm. they just have, you know. San Francisco wouldn't have been San Francisco without Donna Summer's yeah. I Feel Love, you <laughs> yeah. know. And I would play, I, again, back on tour with Bronski Beat, we would play gay venues in America. They weren't all concerts. Some of them were like places like The Fridge. And we'd play a, a, a small place for us. We'd sometimes play small bars. Yeah. And we'd play these small bars that only had 300 people in, but they were rammed with... And, and, and I would do... We'd do things like um, I Feel Love just as an acapella to the audience. And I do it to this day. Well, could, yeah, I mean, I must say, the acapella stuff you do, I mean, I've never witnessed anybody else doing that. You can exactly. do, I mean, I don't know if you can do the I Feel Love thing. The How do you do that? Because you, you can actually do the song, but... Yeah, I mean, it's silly, isn't it? And it's the just... club thing, you, so you mentioned you do this thing yeah. about, you know, you go to a chill-out party or whatever, yeah. and you're going, I could hear the music. Yeah. But it's, I mean, you you know, you have to see the acts, but it, it, people are like, oh, wow, that's great. I mean, oh, you know what great. I'm talking about, that's don't you? It's amazing. Well, it's it's utterly amazing. It's fun. Um, and it's probably, I, I mean, I feel love. You know, there's a really long, I think it's about a 15-minute extended mix by it's Patrick huge, Cowley. It? Yeah. It, it, it's better than sex. It's better than sex. It's, it's, it's one of those, again, you know, there are so many of these in my life, but it's one of those songs. Just when the, it first fades in, before the sequence actually starts, I'm already gone. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all sorts of people. When that fades in, I'm a 1970s clone gay in San Francisco with a big moustache and short hair and, and chaps and, and a little tight T-shirt. Or I'm a village person or I'm a big hair queen like I was in the 80s. And, and I'm on a dance floor. The moment that song starts, I'm on a dance floor somewhere and I'm so glad I'm gay. Because I wouldn't be in that place. I wouldn't be loving it if I wasn't. Mm. Because there's an identity, there's a heritage to it that is about being gay. For me, mm -hmm. I would say it for anybody else, but I know it also exists for a lot of the people. So Donna Summer, that show that you were talking about, yes. that, that show at the Vauxhall Tavern, I thought every song is going to be a Donna Summer song. Yeah. And when I changed the lyrics to On The Radio, it was a tribute to Donna Summer. Mm. It was about first hearing her voice, first hearing the song she sang, and... You said it really loud. You said it on the air, on the radio. Yeah. And she would stop me in my tracks again. She's one of those people whose voice just took me away to another place. Maybe all of these singers are a bit of escapology for me because at times that have been rough, um, you know, and, and personal moments of tragedy, loss, whatever, HIV, AIDS come into in everybody's life in one way or another and some closer than others. You lose great friends, you know, you family members pass on that you've grown up loving uh, moments of tragedy there's a there's a song somewhere always that seems to just sweep into my mind in moments like that all those it's really interesting all those emotions you've just mentioned are so much part of 
you know, the family who come here, we're in the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, mm. sat upstairs, and, and people that I know in, you know, being here for the last decade, people, are, we've lost people, mm. we've welcomed new people in, yeah. people have grown up with you. Yeah. You know, I once saw somebody check in a Zimmer frame to one of your shows. And why not? Which I loved, because Probably that... <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Vauxhall Tavern, yeah. and... Does it have a special place in your heart? Maybe silly question. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it, this is uh, it doesn't really matter how I'm doing in my own life. That you know, I, I set out once a month now because obviously it's not weekly anymore. But I set out once a month. But you used to do it weekly, it didn't weekly. you? Yeah, it's weekly for fourteen and a half years. Every Sunday, really, almost without fail. So you just did every single every Sunday. Every Sunday, me and the audience, and it would it would be sold out and it was rammed and it was mad and the energy that Sean Delenti was talking about yes um, you know that the energy was there before I even walked on stage there was this incredible energy and incredible endeavour from the audience because they knew that if if whatever energy they give they're going to get back I just wanted to read you there was a review that I read years ago and I found it again I think it was Mark Simpson you you probably know this don't you but it was such a I just made me laugh you said everyone in the place and it's sold out every week. He's transfixed by him. Even the shirtless gay clubbers coming down from their weekends raving, you know, chewing their gum, and they just stare slack-jawed at him. And that's what I've witnessed, you know. Um, Quite auspicious, isn't it? I mean, I read it really badly, but so uh, you get the point. I thought he'd found Elvis when I read that. <laughs> I, I had no idea it meant me. <laughs> Um, but that's massively complimentary. Did it, it did it work out from day one in the tavern, or was it? I mean, so when you first performed it, did they say we love you, we want you? How did that? Oh did... well, they, they, um, uh, there was a fantastic drag queen. I never actually saw him live, but there was a fantastic drag queen of great heritage here at the time that Lily Savage was here, called Adrella. And Adrella had stopped doing the Sundays. It was a, it was an institution was as iconic as Slags was any day. But anyway. Um, She'd stopped because of whatever personal reason she wasn't working here anymore. Simon Levance had always been DJing here. My dear Simon, my, my partner in cabaret crime, as I always call him. Um, and the, I was doing quite well in London. And Jason uh, came and sort of said to me, Jason, who used to run the place, Jason Dickey, mm. um, would you be prepared to do Sundays at the Vauxhall Tavern? I immediately said, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I could come up with a weekly show. And I'm not stepping into Adrella's shoes. They're too big to fill. And that was my answer. And he said, look, give it a go. Why don't you book it? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Look, I'll put four in. I'll come and do four Sundays for you. And if it looks like it's working, we can chat again about it afterwards. Well, of course, the first Sunday was... About 150 people. It's quite good. What are we talking about here? We're... 1999. 99. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, first Sunday, 150, 180. And I said to the audience, I can see bits of floor. <laughs> I said, if, if I can't see any next week, I'll stay. And, of course, the next week they all came back and brought three other people with them. And we couldn't get them all in. And that's how it stayed. And I never had that conversation with Jason. But, well, I think I'll stay. You know, I, it seems to be going <laughs> it well. It was just a given. It, you know, yeah, it was just a <laughs> given. And it worked out for all of us. And Andy Wetson and Sean Sirs 
DJed after I'd finished. Simon Levant's DJed before and obviously did my sound. He's a genius. So, so your Sunday, The Slags, was uh, South London Action, Action Girls, Girls Society. I've done my research. Yeah, Look at that. Exactly. Well, um, South London Action Girls Society, I have to say, not invented by me. Invented by my friend Louisa, uh, my dear friend Louisa Fleur, who was a member of a group of uh, student nurses. She was training to be a nurse. And they called themselves, because they lived in Brixton, these group of nurses all lived together and they were dreadful reprobates. Uh, it, the NHS couldn't possibly have known what was coming. <laughs> um, I love her and adore her. And she, she, she named their group the South London Action Girls Society. And when I started the Sunday, because I'd started to do shares, believe, as you're going to need that white rubber glove, yeah. we'd started calling it white rubber glove, which was a shocking reference. Never mind. Um, <laughs> let's not go there. And, uh, Told you it was going to be no Yes, I know. And I said to Louisa, would you mind if I nicked that name? And she said, no, it'd be wonderful. So we suddenly, I said to Jason, the South London Action Girl Society, slags the gays, they love an acronym. Here we are. And it went down like a hooker in a hurry. It was amazing. And there was a huge, <laughs> I love that, Sorry. there was a huge going back to, am I right in thinking your first retirement was 2013? And there was a big rumour, like the gay scene, that, oh my gosh, the last Edna gig's coming up. Yeah. And it built and it built and it built yeah. and it built to the fact that the weekend oh. of that, there were people queuing overnight, I think, I'm right? I or very much early I, in the I, morning. I, 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 bearing in mind, I was on at half past five. There were people queuing at 7am. Yeah. For... For entry that they wouldn't, most of them, there was no way they would get. It was like a queue for the Oval. It was a huge queue. There's, there's somebody filmed it. Somebody drove past at seven in the morning. About, no, about ten in the morning. There was already this massive, and it went right the way down Kennington Lane, you know, all the way. Um, I mean, a great, you know, testimony to the fact that people loved it and didn't want it to end. Yeah. Um, and that, there's nothing precious. You How know? did that make you feel when oh, you stepped out on stage? The energy, the flowers, everybody was in the Ed, Edna Wigs yeah, as well. Yeah, it was but, a great tribute. I mean, yeah. It was amazing, really. Because, uh, you know what? Actually, I passed the tribute on. It was a tribute to Barry Humphreys in many ways for me. Because why do I do him? Why do I do Edna? Because I adore Barry Humphreys. Have you genius. ever met Barry Humphreys? Uh, I've met him on a tube train once when he <coughs> said he wasn't Barry Humphreys and it turns out he was. <laughs> but I've heard from someone who used to live in his house, and I might still do in, in Richmond, he's got a house here, um, that he's mentioned me in his shows. He oh. hasn't mentioned my name. Right. But he said something along the lines that there are carpet copies of me around poor excuses, but there's one in particular who makes a living. <laughs> taking off my shirt you have to take it as a compliment of course the magic won't be there uh, uh, you know and, and I don't, I'll take that I'll take that and Brilliant. it probably wouldn't, it wasn't even about me but I decided it was um, but yeah that 2013 I decided to call it a day I thought I'd been here long enough um, I'd got other things I wanted to do so I was going to leave and go and live abroad and work abroad I got the possibility of uh, working at a residency in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Which would okay. be great. That's uh, what I heard that you were going to go to, yeah. like, the Castro Tavern or something. That's something like that. And I was going <laughs> to be... And uh, it never came off. None of it came off because uh, I left... I did my last gig here on the 31st of March, 2013. I did a cruise with Atlantis Gay Cruises in the May. And that was it. I got rid of all of it got rid of the drag and everything and said I knew I should go and off, go off do other things in another country um, and then suddenly my mom was taken terminally ill 
Oh. And I needed to go back to Worcestershire and I moved back up there. And uh, yeah, that's all of the stuff abroad wow. didn't happen right. because it, I didn't, we, we didn't know at first that she was terminally ill, we just knew she was very sick. Mm. And I realised I needed to be there in Worcestershire, so whatever else I was going to plan to do. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a difficult time as, you know, terminal illness with anybody that you love is a hard, hard thing for them to go through, for you to go through and to be left behind. Um, and it, it kind of knocked any funny out of me when mm. I lost my mum in the December of 2013. Um, and I had no desire to perform again. Steve Denny with you tonight on Virgin Radio Pride. Thank you for listening to my Pride playlist. I'm joined by Jonathan Hellier, the Dame Edna experience. So we're just going to recap. You made a huge comeback in 2016. It was a Birmingham Pride in the huge kind of cabaret marquee. How did you feel that night? I was there, I saw you in the audience, but three years, no performance, and suddenly you're back on with that huge crowd. Terrified. I... It, it, I wasn't sure that I should be back. Um, I had only recently started to uh, undergo therapy for losing mom. It was only a few years. Um, and I wasn't actually sure. I, 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 in some ways, I said yes to coming back against my better judgment. Right. Um, and it was a fantastic gig. I mean, it was lovely, but I actually didn't think it was one of my better gigs. I, I was nervous. I was outside of myself with nerves because I thought it's so much on it. You know, this, people have come, people have booked hotels. They, you know, all the crowd are there from the Vauxhall. I didn't let anybody down. And I felt, I actually felt a bit inadequate if right. I was walking on. Like I felt on the very last day of Slacks on the 31st of March, 2013, I felt like I wasn't up to it. Really? I felt like I wasn't good enough anymore. <sighs> There you go, that's the truth. Wow. But then, like fast forward a couple of weeks, I was here for the, I sound like a massive fan, don't I? You're going to be, uh, you're backing off in the chair. Is there a... (laughs) No, but I was here for the return gig at the Tavern, which was a joyous occasion. It was a thousand degrees. It was. And um, if I'm right in thinking, the moment that you open the curtain... I think you were you looked stunned for a quick second by you know the noise, the heat. The heat. I got a massive heavy wig on, <laughs> which proceeded to cook my cerebellum. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I remember arriving to get ready on that date. I can't remember when it was, July, I think, or something. Um, yeah. And again, you know, you you want to be good, you want to be as good as everybody wants as good as everybody tells you they think you are whether you like it or not that's a mark you've got to live up to you know if you've set a high bar before you can't come back below it so you tend to kind of you know and, and what i've never wanted to be i've never wanted to be one of those performers who rests 
on his laurels. You know, I was always this good and therefore I shall be again because I said so. No, you've got to work for it. You've got to put your back into it. You've got to, you've got to really work the crowd. And that starts from the moment you're on stage. At the Vauxhall Tavern, very fortunately, the energy that welcomes you into that is there when you walk in. It's in the walls. It's, it's in the dressing room. It's there. It greets you. But that doesn't mean to say you couldn't drop the ball. Mm. So that's what's important to me. So without sounding pompous, that first gig back mm. in 2016, I yeah. think it was, was a double-edged sword because everybody was here. The place was round. And what, what had I got to offer them? I wasn't sure, if I'm honest. Right. I wasn't sure. And, and, and it turns out I was actually very depressed. I was actually very doubtful suffering again without having known it terrible anxiety at times in the years the intervening years between stopping in 2013 and coming back in 2016 i'd had regular this is the stuff of a television drama i'm sure i'd had regular nightmares that i'd walked on stage at the rbt and there were about four people in the room and nobody was really listening and i was doing the show. right right now that was a very regular dream mm. I remember saying to Simon Levance, I even dream about being a failure on stage. That's how little entertainment I've got in me. So when I walked on stage that day and came out for that blistering heat, that great big yes. heat, which was such a terrible idea. It's about five pound in weight. <laughs> and just dissolving beneath it and the makeup's on my knuckles, you know. And um, uh, But it was a great show. It was a brilliant event. I was very funny. They what well, I it's a double edged sword. You 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 don't create a monster, that would be a silly, silly, dramatic way to put it. But you create as you're saying, you set the bar, yeah, you can't come back below it. Mm -hmm. You've got to at least be there and then up it really if you've got anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Lavoir. I came to see Lavoir here. Yes. Au revoir. Lavoir. Lavoir. That's the one. Um and I remember being in the audience and she said, oh, look who's in. No, oh, we've all got your spot now. You've left and all that stuff. And she said very nicely, you kept this place going for 14 years. I'm struggling to finish 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't think of it that way. I was being entertained. I was having a great time. But I thought, what a nice thing to say, yeah, you know, because, yeah. you know, you, you have, you know, the, 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 you've been through thick and thin with this place. Yes. You know, I've definitely been through thick and thin with this place. Um, so... Coming back in 2016, yeah, it was a double-edged sword, but it turned out to be a really successful gig, and we had some great gigs every month afterwards. All right, well, this is a lovely track to end my Pride playlist tonight, and uh, a real belter. It's Heart, your final pick. It's heart, all I want to do. The final pick tonight on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. It has been an absolute honour to be in the company with Jonathan Hellier, the Dame Edna experience for the last hour. One final question, though, and that is, as we're kind of smack bang in the middle of Pride, what does Pride mean to you after all these years? So at 54, I've been out since I was about 20. I left home so that I could come out, you know, I... I 
the small town boy thing, you know, there's a, a whole load of, of occurrences, you know, in my life which uh, have, have, have dented my self-esteem, dented my self-respect, threatened me, made me fearful, made me never quite wish that I wasn't gay, but wish that people would just leave me alone and let me be gay. So pride over the years has sort of evolved into something I, I kind of feel it, it, it's, it's, it's almost dangerous to have one day when we celebrate pride. There's something very risky about that because it negates the need for pride and self-esteem, possibly negates the need for pride and self-esteem on the other 364 days of the year. So pride to me isn't a concept, it's not a time. It's a nebulous thing that, that evolves, uh, moves closer and further away from me. It's about how I am as an emotional adult. It's about how I am as an emotional child. <laughs> um, pride is about celebrating who I am and loving who I am, being very proud of the work that I do and the life that I live. And yeah, I think pride is actually about trying to escape some shame that I've grown up feeling and probably because I'm gay. So, you know, I know, I know that uh, Ducky have done gay shame for years um, and rightly so because there's a lot of shame attached to being a gay man still. Uh, Do you think that still exists for kids um, now who watch programmes like Heartstopper or Netflix? Yeah, it's or a is, sin. You know, yeah. We've got so many fantastic people with incredible profiles these days and there's RuPaul Drag Race, isn't there? There's people being gender fluid, there's people being non-binary, there's people having whatever orientation they like, uh, there are straight people coming into venues, are there gay venues anymore, are there straight venues anymore? But we'd all be very silly to imagine it's all become, you know, mixed and melded into one. Mm. There's still the need to recognise ourselves as a community. We're part of a wider community, but not everybody believes we have a right to be part of that wider community. While that's still the case, pride is still important, but not just one day, not for one weekend. Pride is about your life, it's about your identity, it's about your self-respect. It's also about the message you convey to others and the respect you give to others. Doing shows as an act is a great way to convey that respect. Mm -hmm. So that's what pride is. Nicely said. Fine, fine words. Jonathan Hellier, the Dame Edna experience. Thank you so much. My Pride Playlist. Virgin Radio Pride. Thank you so much for listening in. That was the My Pride Playlist Pridecast. And make sure you subscribe to hear loads more good stuff from Virgin Radio Pride. The Virgin Radio Pridecast. Proudly supported by Disney+. Plus. Full of stories and love for all.